Welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. In the past month, we saw the return of some of TV's best shows, so we wanted to remind you about a Recapables feed, where our staff breaks down current episodes from your favorites like Game of Thrones, Killing Eve, and Billions. Also, make sure to check in each week to hear special one-off recaps on shows like The Bold Type, Very Cavalry, Cobra Kai, and more. So as you keep up with your top shows, tune in to the Recapables feed each week on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to Ringer FC. I'm your host, Donnie Kwaki, Skulls Bureau Chief of the Ringer. As always, with me, my main man, Micah Peters. What's up, Micah? Yeah. Via phone, we have one of our favorites coming back live from Orlando. It's Nico Morales. What's up, Nico? What's going on? I just witnessed one of the most beautiful free kicks I've ever seen in my life, so I'm doing great. Beautiful, devastating, awe-inspiring. <laughs> one in the same, isn't it? Our colleague Paolo Getty just pointed out to me that that was actually Leo Messi's 600th goal for Barcelona. On the same day, like 14 <laughs> years later, of the first goal he scored for Barcelona. Wow. Symmetry. There's a line. Time. It's like a flat circle. It's crazy. Interconnectedness <laughs> of all things, you know? Anyway, guys, we have two Champions League semifinal first legs in the books. Two losses by English teams, and we're going to start with the match we're talking about now. Liverpool going to Camp Nou and getting tonked by Barcelona. 3-0, two second half messy goals. Uh, the scoreline ended up being 3 nothing to Barcelona, but Nico, you think Liverpool were a tad unlucky not to get a goal? I think a little bit. You know, the, the main thing about this Barcelona team this year is that they've been relatively shaky defensively, and even though we saw a defensive performance from Barcelona and Liverpool monopolized the majority of the ball. They still created some good chances. The problem is they fell to James Milner. So <laughs> it's not the ideal person that you want taking those chances. And I thought it wasn't, it, you know, the scoreline doesn't necessarily reflect how good or bad they were, I think, in my opinion. But when you go up against this, this messy led Barcelona team that's on a quest, as I talked about in the semifinal preview, to get back to the Champions League trophy, back to the Camp Nou, you might have to deal with some unfairness or some godliness to, to talk about it in that way. You know, I was texting with our dearly departed Ryan O'Hanlon, who's, of course, a Liverpool fan, during and after the match. And he, he, he thought that Liverpool could have easily nicked an away goal. In fact, they were close. As you mentioned, Milner had one. I think that went straight into the keeper's chest. And Mane went over the bar. And after Messi's aforementioned free kick, uh, Mo Salah hit the post. But O'Hanlon basically said this was the messy tax, which, I mean, Micah, is, are we running out of superlatives for Leo Messi? I mean, I was just now, well, on the way to walking into the studio, I was just wondering about, like, what is there left to say in the situation? Because, I mean, and Nico was talking a little bit about this. The second half was, I mean, largely felt like Barcelona – it was being a little like it was outplayed. They were being outplayed for like the they first were. so fifteen or so minutes of the second half, and then uh, I mean, like, but that's the 
that is the messy tax is that it's one bad bounce. It's one mis- misplaced pass, one defensive lapse, and it's suddenly 2-0. And then it's 3-0. <laughs> it's just like death by a thousand cuts. And then, you know, a nuke. <laughs> I mean, although we're saying that Liverpool were a, a tad unlucky, Barcelona, were, actually, it should have been 4-0 because at the death there, Dembele, you know, he was basically one on no, had the whole entire net to shoot at and shoot it, shot it straight into uh, Allison's chest. Uh, Nico, do you think that any there are any questions to be asked of Klopp's lineup? Because uh, Bobby Firmino has been dealing with a nagging injury, was fit enough to be on the bench, but didn't start. And in his place in that false nine role, role was Gigi Wijnaldum, who we don't normally see there. Also, Joe Gomez, Trent, Trent Alexander-Arnold, normally uh, Liverpool starting right back, is also dealing with injury, was also fit enough to be on the bench but didn't start Joe Gomez in his place. Do you think there's anything that, you know, any questions that we can have of uh, Klopp's deployment today? I think he did the best he could with what he had. Obviously, Liverpool are still competing for the Premier League, but unlike Manchester City, they're still in the Champions League. Maybe not after this game, but they are still in it in a literal sense. So with Roberto Firmino, I think he didn't want to risk, you know, ag- re-aggravating whatever injury he has and he had to keep him around in the league because obviously they're still trying to win it. And with Joe Gomez, you know, teams have talked in the past about isolating that right-hand side because as much as attacking prowess they get out of Alexander-Arnold, he is defensively weak because of his positioning and because of how far forward he tends to get. So I think the idea was right, especially with Keita. They wanted to create transition, and that's what's been successful for them over the past couple you know, years in European competition. That's how they've gotten to two European finals now. But Barcelona did an exceptional job at making sure they basically didn't do that. Like I said, they, they might have rolled out a defensive game plan, but at the same time, their runs over the top and their ability to play through Liverpool's press and also stretch it out, making it less efficient through their spacing, is kind of what won them this game. Yes, Liverpool were unlucky in some senses, but there was, you know, a tactical nuance to this that Valverde has been famous for for the past two years at Barcelona. And it, it worked, you know, as well as it possibly could have. And that's not all down to clock. Yeah. And to be fair, in the first 20 or so minutes, Liverpool looked very threatening before Navi Keita limped off and was replaced by Henderson, who exactly. also played decent, decently well. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, like, the, they were exploiting... Um, because uh, Jordi Alba was pushed so, pushed so high up the pitch or like has such a penchant for getting forward, bombing up the pitch and getting the ball into the box, which is, you know, like, first of all, we got to pay, you know, respect for that amazing through ball. He played to Luis Suarez for that goal in the 26th minute. Um, inch perfect. Inch perfect. And, you know, was leaving uh, Clement Longley to deal with Mohamed Salah on the counter <laughs> like so many times that it would have been, I, I just would like to know what was what words were exchanged between the two of them in the locker room at halftime. Um, but yeah, I mean like that would, that would have been like, you know, one of the keys to, I guess, unlocking this Barcelona team, um, exploiting their, their bigger, slower players on the turn. But it just didn't work out that way. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering before and during the match if Klopp might throw a wild card in there and start Shakiri, But I haven't been hearing Shakiri's name a lot lately in it. I just looked at his game log and he's played basically a total of 56 minutes since February 1st. And he's not injured. So I mean, Yeah, I, I think the, compl- the terminology that I've heard Liverpool fans use is Jurgen Klopp has murdered Liverpool, 
uh, of Jared and Shakiri. So I don't think I don't think as much of a wild card as the power cube is. He's going to get much time. <laughs> uh, do we give Liverpool a shot at Anfield of overturning a three goal deficit? I like okay. My head says no, but like my my heart, knowing that this is at the semifinal stage, um, and considering all the ridiculous comebacks we've seen over the last couple of seasons, and how insane and open and like <laughs> and just balls to the wall, I feel like Liverpool is going to play in the second leg. Maybe, um, but highly, highly unlikely. Yeah, it's tough too because. Uh, as Nico mentioned, they're obviously fighting for the league. They have a match away at Newcastle on Saturday, and then it's Barcelona on Tuesday. So, uh, not much rest for the weary. Nico, do you think there's any shot in hell? I think there's definitely a shot in hell, and, and hell maybe is more vague. And we can say Anfield. You know, Anfield's a very <laughs> special place, and we've seen it. You know, just a couple of years ago with Klopp against that Dortmund team that was probably one of the better teams in Europe, despite being in the Europa League. There's always a shot with Liverpool, I think, and that's something that their supporters very much believe in. And, and Anfield, like I said, is a very special place. So I wouldn't put it past them, but at the same time, this is a very special Barcelona team with a very special version of the greatest player we've ever seen. So there's a lot there's a lot to play for. You were kind of tweeting about this during the game, uh, the common, like the commentary about the way that this Ernesto Valverde team plays. Um, yeah. It was just kind of like acting as though like Messi was being forced to an, into a role that he doesn't favor, despite him kind of playing the same role for the last two years. I think the, yeah. the, the weird thing about the way that Barcelona was set up today was the fact that Valverde, uh, does open so much space up the field, but then doesn't play his fastest attacking players. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I remember there was something, I, it was a game I wrote about um, in Valverde's first year where Batiste, who are probably one of the best high-pressing teams in Europe, let alone La Liga, they completely locked Barcelona in their own half. And for 45 minutes, they, they completely shut down uh, Barcelona's attack and didn't allow them to register any shots. And then in the second half, they brought on Usman Dembele, who was able to eviscerate that high line. And that's the strange thing, is that they have now the players' purchase of Coutinho and Dembele to kind of eliminate how they're high-pressed, but they continue to stick with the, the best friend duo of Messi and Suarez, which is good, but at the same time, it's almost like they have solutions to every problem that can come at them, which makes this team really, really scary. Yeah, It, it did seem uh, throughout large parts of the game that whenever Messi received the ball, he was quickly surrounded by like four or five white shirts. But, you know, Messi's Definitely. Messi. I, yeah. I saw a 538 report that this year, uh, Messi's responsible for over 41% of the goals and assists for, for Barcelona, which is the most, I guess, in over over a decade uh, for that club. So, Yeah, he's can't... basically LeBroning Barcelona this year. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's quickly talk about yesterday's match. Ajax getting a crucial away goal. Well, we'll see how crucial it is in a 1-0 victory over Tottenham at their new stadium. Spurs, of course, were starting without the red-hot Son Heung-min and uh, because of yellow card accumulation. Uh, Tottenham start. Uh, I'm sorry, Ajax started pants on fire. They were dominating the match and then uh, Spurs worked their way back into it but couldn't equalize. Uh, Nico, what did you make of it? 
I thought it was an interesting approach from Pochettino. What game was most similar to me in terms of the, the approach they took? It was obviously a 3-5-2 at the beginning, and then it switched to somewhat of a, like a 4-4-2 diamond, which is typical for them. Um, was that, 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 that approach mirrored the one that they took against City in the league in that third of three, the three-game series that they played against them. And it was, I think, statistically the least successful because they still conceded a lot of chances. And it was weird to see them take the, that approach from the off. I think Pochettino thought that the width at the back and their ability to just kind of spring forward and counter on, on Ajax was maybe a little bit overestimated, especially, like you said, without Son. He's an amazing counterattacking player and one of their fastest players. And exchanging that for slow, old, and uh, just hefty Fernando Llorente is, I think, ideal. Um, but I think the adjective is plotting. plotting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the best adjective to use. But, you know, they changed it up, to be fair to them, and Danny Rose is an exceptional player who can go from, you know, left back to midfield and, and do a job in there, and Mrs. Soko is pretty good as well. So, I mean, Ajax got the important away goal, but it's n- it's certainly nothing like the Barcelona tie where they have no shot in hell. They, 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 they're they still very much in the game. They just need to, they'll have Son back in the second leg. So it's, it's definitely not impossible. And you mentioned Musa Sissoko. A lot of people are crediting him for changing the tide of the game. Uh, of course, the only reason he was on the pitch was because of the concussion to Jan Vertonghen. And that was kind of the big talking point after the match. Uh, around the 33rd minute, Vertonghen and Toby Alderweireld butted heads. Uh, Vertonghen went down. Looked like he had a broken nose. There was a lot of blood. Uh, he stayed down for a while, got up, changed the kit, bandaged up his nose. But then very shortly after that, it almost looked like he was about to have convulsions on the pitch. It was really scary. Um, uh, Michael, what, what did you think when you were watching that unfold? Uh, I couldn't believe that he was allowed back onto the pitch, but I could absolutely believe it because of, I mean, the the the, the, the long and short of it is this, is that if Vertonghen managed to pass the concussion protocols, uh, that are in place, then the concussion quote-unquote pro- protocols. Then because, they need to be changed. <laughs> it, it looked <laughs> like, like the concussion protocol in soccer is basically like, you know, what team, what team are you on? I mean, the old school, like how many fingers am I holding up? Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, it was absolutely terrifying. I mean, because like, what if he had, what if he had gone up for an aerial challenge immediately after coming back onto the pitch after that? What happens then? You know? Um, so yeah, I mean, like it was honestly, I was terrified like everybody else on this podcast. When I yeah, saw I mean, it's it. not for the first time we've seen uh, Taylor Twelman often beats this drum because his career was ended prematurely because of concussions. But it's not the first time we've seen a player go down after head contact and then being let to continue playing. I remember Drogba uh, for Chelsea, uh, a very scary. He was like basically knocked out cold and he continued to play. So, what do you think? are solutions for this, Nico? I mean, I've heard or read suggestions about a temporary concussion substitution where yeah, 10 minute a player is forced to leave. Yeah, that they can put him, run him through a concussion protocol and have a temporary sub who is then replaced by the concussed or not concussed player if he clears the protocol. I mean, is there any way to, to get around it, do you think? I think, um, you know, I, I used to hold a podcast with a, a friend that was doing neuroscience research, and obviously this issue is very close to him. And I think, you know, aside from those kind of suggestions, that I, which I think could possibly be a, a, a temporary solution, you know, the, the concussed player and 10-minute interval to see, you know, to, to give a more rigorous 
uh, approach to concussions. I think these things just need to be taken a lot more seriously. Like Mike said, I think everybody on this podcast understands how serious these issues can be in terms of the future health of the player as well as the immediate health of the player. But we need to understand that just because, you know, someone is able to stand up and pass some rudimentary antiquated test doesn't necessarily mean they should continue play. And these clubs and these leagues have a responsibility to their players and they have a responsibility to their health. So it's a very important tie. It's a very important game. And Ian Vertonghen is an essential player to Tottenham. But unfortunately, his health and the, you know, the, the game does not transcend that. So I think it just needs to be looked at differently. And we need to speak about, we need to continue to speak about concussion and concussion protocol uh, in the manner that it should be talked about. Yeah, the Spurs medical team was getting a lot of heat on social media and by pundits. So, you know, the club made a statement today that uh, Jan has passed tests that will continue for the next few days. They're bringing in, I think, a a neurologist. I think he's definitively out for their next match, which I believe is against Bournemouth. Uh, But Jan tweeted that he's okay. And uh, the club's reporting that he has shown no ill effects today. So uh, that's good news. We mentioned that Liverpool were unlucky not to get an away goal. Ajax, of course, did get an away goal, but they were probably unlucky not to get a second because David Neres hit the post in the second half, uh, which would have been a great cushion uh, heading into the home leg. Um, do you think Spurs overall, Micah, um, are continuing to suffer from a lack of depth and possibly fatigue um, to their key players, players like Deli Ali, who's, who looked a little... Uh, jaded, you might say. Well, yeah, I mean, like obviously, and we were talking about this when the when the lineup started rolling out. They, <laughs> I mean, if you are starting Urente and Lucas as your as your one and two, like up top, and then you have not a single attacking player on the bench, then yeah, I, I saw mean, Spurs like, Spurs fans some chatter that uh, they were mad at Poch for not bringing Vincent Jansen and, and instead a third keeper. Yeah, I I mean like they not that he was gonna do anything, but <laughs> yeah, I mean like I say, it's <laughs> An more option. so like we are. It's it's like that. I, I'm I'm sure I'm sure that, that that somebody like was tweeting out like the gif of, um the 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 night from um Monty Python who gets both of his arms and his legs chopped off and says I'm gonna bite your ankles. That's what this Tottenham <laughs> team is right now. <laughs> Um, it's a great, great pull. Yeah. Are you, are you guys, are you guys suggesting the Twin Towers offense, Urense <laughs> and Jansen, a big and a big? Um, you know, if they can, if they can combine. You know, I, I'm not suggesting anything other than that this this Tottenham team is shorthanded. I mean, like it's that's the that's the simple truth of it. Um, I saw, and, I saw a, a squawker stat that Kieran Trippier lost possession 28 times. Yeah, in the match more than any other player. He's very much maligned. I will award that one yike. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's it's definitely uh, you know, and yet they're still very much in it with a chance at the final uh, going yeah. into the second leg. Um, you know, a lot of the talk about Ajax is about their young talent and the players that are primed to leave after this run. Uh, also, their manager Eric Ten Hag, mm-hmm. forty nine years old bald like Pep. Also, he uh, studied under Pep with the Bayern Reserves for two seasons. Also incredibly stylish. Is he incredibly stylish? <laughs> He's not as stylish as Pep, though. He's not as stylish. I mean, like, okay, you're not going to see uh, Ten Hag like rocking Stone Island, but it's, you know, <laughs> it's it's respectable. 
he had a long Eredivisie career, 312 matches, uh, center back, and he's been uh, managing at Ajax since December 2017. Uh, the season after, they actually they lost in the Europa League final to Micah's United. Uh, but with Ajax, Whoa. 70 matches, 52 wins, only seven losses. They're alive for the treble this year. They're playing in the Dutch Cup final as well as fighting off PSV for the Eredivisie lead. Um, and the way they play, I mean, obviously the Ajax philosophy is not because of Ten Hag. It's, you know, through the years. But uh, Nico, would you, would it surprise you to see him jumping possibly to a Premier League position in the next few years? Definitely within the next few years. You know, he's a purveyor of, again, that philosophy that it's not necessarily just about the possession, right? This is the, this is the thing we've come to admire about this Ajax team in Europe is that even against Tottenham yesterday, you could see it. It's the, what some tacticians are calling variable pressing. Um, it's, this, it's this idea that you can force the ball into specific areas or into specific players that you can further exploit if you can press aggressively and then reel it in at different moments, at different stages, and different parts of the field. And that's something that's tactically unique. So, you know, he's not just a copy of these guys that he studied under. He has his own ideas and his own thoughts. And I think he's done... This is probably the most you could do with this extremely talented group of players in the Dutch league. Like you said, they're on course for the treble. It would be absolutely incredible just to see them in a Champions League final, and they're almost there. And then they're still competing for the Dutch league and the Dutch cup. So, yeah, I could definitely see him taking charge, maybe of a, of a United in a couple of years, given where everybody seems <laughs> to be going. But yeah, it would be interesting. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, poor Solskjaer. Uh, so can Ajax finish the job? It's Wednesday, May 8th in Amsterdam. Tenuous 1-0 lead. Sonny, of course, is back. Was that just an open question to the field? You can make a prediction or not. I think that Ajax is going to end up in the final. Wow. Um, and An Ajax-Barcelona final. Wow. What, that, what, a, I mean, what a treat that would be. Then, wouldn't it be, though? It would just be, it would just be Johan Cruyff highlight reels for like a week leading up to it. That's, that's all it would be. And in Madrid. <laughs> Let's quickly look at tomorrow's matches, the Europa League semifinals. Nico, do you have any thoughts? Arsenal versus Valencia. I tracked I tra- Frankfurt versus Chelsea. Are we, we're still headed on this Arsenal-Chelsea collision course, possibly. Uh, the English teams, would you say, are favored? That would be exceptional to see. You know, another Premier League matchup dominating Europe, but it, you know, it's it's almost like they're Chelsea's mirroring United of a couple seasons ago, where maybe their only a chance to get into the Champions League next it's, season lies within winning the Europa League, which would just be exceptionally funny. That's the case for Arsenal too. Very much. I mean, so. it's it's not their only chance, but yeah, I mean, it could be you know the Europa League final, the fight for the final you know English Champions League spot. Exactly. Yeah, I could see both of the English teams going through, and then having a, a fully English final, full four four two. Yeah, what a layer that would be. Um <laughs> just <laughs> I mean like if both if, if both teams, you know, trying to backdoor their way into Champions League football next season because Hazard is definitely going to leave and Arsenal need to attract a host of new players as well. Um yeah. yeah. I will talk more about the Premier League in a bit. Uh quick hit here. We sent our best to Iker Casillas, 37 year old goalkeeper. For Porto, of course, former Real Madrid legend. He suffered a heart attack during a training session earlier today. Thankfully, according to the club, his life is not in danger. Uh, so 
sending our best wishes to him. All right, we'll take a break here. When we come back, we'll talk about what happened in the championship on Sunday as well as the rest of the Premier League schedule. It can be a little frustrating, especially if you're in a hurry or running late, to find yourself at a railway crossing waiting for a train. And if the signals are going and the train's not even there yet, you can feel a bit tempted to try and sneak across the tracks. Well, don't. Ever. Trains are often going a lot faster than you expect them to be, and they can't stop. Even if the engineer hits the brakes right away, it can take a train over a mile to stop. By that time, what used to be your car is just a crushed hunk of metal, and what used to be you... Well, better not to think about that. The point is, you can't know how quickly the train will arrive. The train can't stop even if it sees you. The result is a disaster. If the signals are on, the train is on its way. And you just need to remember one thing. Stop. Trains can't. All right, before we get into the Premier League's final two match days, we'll take a trip down to the championship where it all went down on Sunday, Micah and Nico. Mm. Norwich, Norwich City and Sheffield United have secured automatic promotion to the Premier League, but the news was about Marcelo Bielsa, our friend, and third place Leeds. Earlier this season, of course, we discussed Spygate. Now we have what I'm calling kicking ball out gate. Wow. All right. That is <laughs> just long and unwieldy. It doesn't, it doesn't really roll. It doesn't really roll, roll off the tongue? tongue as well. Can we call it KBO we'll, we'll gate? Can we can we call it successful defe- deception of a match official gate? <laughs> <laughs> we can call it that. Uh, let me just quickly set the scene before I turn it over to you guys. It was Lee's Aston Villa Sunday, Ellen Road. Uh, the game was scoreless into the seventy first minute. Aston Villa's Jonathan Kojia Kojia Kojia. Went down injured. It was kind of an innocuous challenge around the middle of the pitch. Leeds kept playing while Aston Villa players were were asking them or uh, motioning for them to kick the ball out of play. Uh, Tyler Roberts of Leeds nudged the ball towards the touchline. It looked like he was trying to kick it out of play, but Mat- Matias Klitsch picked it up and scored, and Leeds went up 1-0. And more context here, approximately 10 minutes earlier, a Leeds player had gone down and Aston Villa, as most teams are wont to do when an opposing player goes down, kicked it out of play. So after Klitsch scored, handbags, recommendations ensued on the pitch. John Terry was shown on the touchline getting very angry. Uh, But then Bielsa instructed his Leeds players to let Villa score, which they did, except for rogue defender Pontus Jansen, who actually made like a half-hearted challenge on the Villa player. So basically the seas parted, Leeds uh, recognizing that their goal was unfair or according to Bielsa was unfair, they l- literally let Aston Villa score. The match ended 1-1 and that result did ensure Sheffield United's promotion. So this incident has cr- created a lot of talking points, a lot of controversy about fair play, uh, sportsmanship, etc. I'll start with you, Nico. What did you make of all of this? It's really interesting because uh, a good friend of mine, John McKenzie, is writing a book about Bielsa currently because he's a Leeds fan and he currently lives near Leeds and Leeds is a boyhood club. And, you know, coming and seeing Marcel Bielsa completely almost like revolutionize the, the very faith of the club and almost, let's see, but almost getting them back into the Premier League has been such a journey for the club and such a historic club. So, you know, at this, this including, including Spygate, is just another twist in the curious tale of Mar- Marcelo Bielsa's time at Leeds because 
he he grew up sort of very privileged in in his home country, and so he his sort of footballing philosophy almost extends itself to the honor or the duty that he feels to the game and to the people. And you know, like you said in the outline, it was his idea to uh, to tell the players to purposely concede because he feels a certain sense, like I said, of of honor to the game and to the idea of honoring both the fans and how you should conduct yourself in the pitch. So it, it's something that he strongly believed in and wasn't in any way like strong armed into doing or felt bad about it. Um, but yeah, it's just, I mean, it's, you couldn't ask for another crazy moment in the, in Marcel Biel's time in the championship. And it's just, these kind of things seem to follow him no matter where he goes because he's such an enigmatic figure. We mentioned, it's important to note that we mentioned that this result ensured Sheffield United's automatic promotion, but I've, it wasn't as if, even had Leeds won the game, they would still have needed a 12-goal swing in their final match to go above Sheffield United. So you can't say that you know conceding the goal there or letting Villa score there prevented them from being automatically promoted. Had that been the case, though, right. like let's say it was that were that those were the stakes do you think Bielsa would have reacted the same way or instructed his players the same way Micah um I doubt it would you know that whole the 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 uh campaign around it's the high school basketball game and the ball goes out of bounds <laughs> and the call goes one way and then the player steps up and then the emotional music starts playing and he's just like coach I touched it <laughs> Like, yo, <laughs> if I was on his team, we would be whooping his ass in the parking lot after the game was over. Are you fucking kidding me? That's like, it, it would have been an entirely different situation if the game was as close as it is. So now, I mean, like, because the situation was that they needed a 12-goal swing to get above uh, Sheffield United in order to win promotion, this gets to be a feel-good story um, in in a way. Um, you know, like, we way. can we can talk about how uh, Bielsa gave lead supporters something to be proud of. We can say that this was, you know, um, correcting a um, an instance in which Leeds had scored against the spirit of the game, so on and so forth, so on and so forth. But it would have been a completely different discussion if Leeds could have secured promotion with a 1-0 win over Aston Villa. Um, in, 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 in American sports, it's always dependent on the referee's judgment, right? Whether or not to stop the play. Like I've seen NBA players go down. Players don't stop playing unless they hear the whistle. Exactly. I mean, like it is, it's nobody is really at any, under any sort of mandate to kick the ball out if a player goes down. Like it's, again, that's one of the like unwritten, you know, like spirit of the game type things, which you can choose to exploit or not exploit. Yeah, I mean, I'm of the mind or of the opinion that if there's no whistle, you just keep playing. Yeah, I mean, like generally, like in my daily life, <laughs> uh, that's that is where I'm at. Um, but I mean, like, I, you know, there would be times when I was playing youth soccer, my coach would be like, "Kick the ball out," and I'm just like, "Why?" Um, but I would still do it because you know, like, that's what you're supposed to do. But also, there is. I mean, I, I can't really see my way to condemning somebody not doing that either. Yeah, famously, actually, Arsene Wenger, uh, they, Arsenal scored a goal under similar circumstances in 99 against Sheffield United, uh, ironically, in the FA Cup. And it was a Kanu that scored. And Wenger offered them a replay of the match, which they played, and Arsenal won. But, I mean, Nico, don't you think 
uh, don't you think it should be the referee's decision ultimately? I mean, in, in some sense it was because the referee never told anyone to stop playing. So if he, if the player, which the player was down injured, but the, the only time officially that they're supposed to stop play when it comes to an injury is if it's a head injury, right? So technically right. the referee did continue to, did uh, allow play to continue. The, the right. issue is, is that the, the way that Leeds advanced the ball completely past midfield is, you know, Aston Villa's players were just kind of walking around waiting for it to go out of play. And then, you know, it got to the, to the left wing. And to be fair, Aston Villa's defenders were defending and the goalkeeper was trying to stop the ball from going in the net and he happened to score. But yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I can, I agree and see the, the merit in a lot of what you guys are saying. And, and, at, but at the end of the day, it, I think it's, maybe the referee should have done something else in those situations because it kind of yeah. did get out of control. As soon as the lead player scored, they started fighting each other. And then even when the Aston Villa players were allowed to score, because Pontus Janssen put his foot in front of the, in front of the other player, they started fighting. So yeah. <laughs> it is kind of a mishap of, of referees as well. Yeah. Lost in all of it too. Was, it was a pretty nice finish from Klitsch. Uh, anyway. It was. <laughs> Aftermath of the game, lead striker Patrick Bamford, who was ridiculed on Twitter before going down, uh, feigning a slap to the face when he wasn't hit anywhere near the face. He's facing a two-match two-match ban for deceiving the referees into giving a red card to Anwar Al-Ghazi of Aston Villa, whose red card was eventually rescinded. Leeds now, they could actually face Villa again, which would be very interesting in the championship playoffs, uh, which begin on May 11th. I think... Uh, Derby County is currently in sixth, and Villa's in fifth. Leeds is in third. Who's in fourth? West Brom, maybe. But anyway, those positions could change a little bit uh, before the playoffs are set. And as we mentioned, Norwich, Sheffield are through. All right, we'll take another quick break, and we'll hit the Premier League. Ring's mission is to make neighborhoods safer. You might already know about their smart video doorbells and cameras that protect millions of people everywhere. Ring helps you stay connected to your home anywhere in the world. So, if there's a package delivered or a surprise visitor, you'll get an alert and be able to see, hear, and speak to them, all from your phone. That's thanks to the HD video and two-way audio features on Ring devices. As a listener, you have a special offer on a Ring starter kit available right now. With a video doorbell and motion-activated floodlight cam, the starter kit has everything you need to start building a ring of security around your home. Just go to ring.com fc. That's ring.com slash FC. All right. Two more matches left in the Premier League. I think, Nico, one of the last times you were here, maybe like 10 match days ago, we went over the schedule and I fucked up all the homes and aways. But now that there's only two (laughs) matches left, I can guarantee you and all the listeners that I've gotten it right. Perfect. (laughs) Smaller sample size to not fuck up. Yeah, so just to quickly set the stage, City are top of the league, 92 92 points and plus four goal differential over Liverpool, who are one behind, 91 points. City have won 12 in a row. Liverpool have won seven in a row. So both teams are very hot right now, uh, despite Liverpool crashing, or not crashing out yet, but losing to Barcelona earlier today. All right, Manchester City's remaining two matches, home to Leicester next Monday and then away to Brighton on the following Sunday. So Leicester, home, Brighton away. Liverpool are away to Newcastle on Saturday. 
they have that Barcelona second leg and then home to Wolves on the final day of the season. <sighs> um, We're looking at two bogey teams here, Leicester for Manchester City and Wolves for Liverpool. I mean, as uh, bogey teams in so far as... They've given the teams pot- trouble, yeah. Yeah, I, potential losses. Because Le- Le- Leicester beat Manchester City at King Power in the reverse fixture in December. Wolves knocked out Liverpool in the FA Cup. And Wolves have beaten everybody, basically, all the top six. I mean, Nico's probably better, like, could speak to this better. But I really am, I I think that Manchester City wins out. I, I think it's just, like, the complication of Wolves and also doing playing that second leg against Barcelona and still have them, like, Liverpool still being alive and more competitions is, I guess, something that could cause them to falter but Barney Rooney wrote a good column in uh, the Guardian like a couple weeks ago where he's just like it wouldn't really be either it wouldn't it's not going to feel like either of these teams lost it I guess it's not necessarily because they again like you've been saying they've been red they've both been red hot down the stretch seven wins in a row for both it doesn't so it's just like it, it I don't think that it'll feel um like this season isolated, like either of these teams would have lost. It's been, they've both been amazing thus far, but the implications for Liverpool would be broader since it will be now four seasons that Liverpool could be walking away from a season without any silverware. <laughs> <laughs> so f- f- 538 currently has City with an 81.9 chance, 81.9% chance to win the league. So Nico, you, can you make an argument for the 19.1% chance that they're giving Liverpool? So yeah, I can definitely make an argument for the the nineteen percent chance or whatever it is for for Liverpool in the sense that even though Spurs and Manchester United were very tough games for uh, Manchester City, they still have to deal with Leicester, which are you know led by Brendan Rodgers at this point and and a very good team outside of the top six, and there's a massive stylistic difference. And I still rate uh, Liverpool's schedule to be easier at this stage than the teams that Manchester City have left to face. And that's kind of the the difficulty. I think you were saying there that it will not feel like either of these teams will necessarily have lost the title at this point, but it's still, it's still going to be a massive disappointment if Manchester City will have gotten through two of their toughest games. You know, when we looked at, or when people were looking at their schedule, a couple of weeks ago, I think in Brian Hamlin's newsletter that, that is excellent that he sends out, he, that was the main reason that he said Liverpool still have a great chance at winning the title is because Manchester City's schedule is so much harder. They've gotten through those games, but it's still a lot more difficult given the last two opponents. So even but, though I mean, I feel like they've got they they've gotten through the hardest though because they they won the yeah, derby for sure. I, I and then they beat Burnley. Leicester as a, as a City fan, Leicester gives me PTSD. In, in a certain sense, you know, the, the Jamie Vardy ism on the, on the counter attack is just too much for me to handle. So, I, I don't know. I, I I strongly believe in the nineteen percent that is there for Liverpool. Yeah, I agree that Leicester is going to be tough. Brighton. It's interesting because Brighton still aren't safe. So, if by the final match day they are safe, uh, that might have an effect too. Because if they're still fighting for their lives, it could be a tougher out or a tougher. Uh, fixture for Manchester City. Uh, I just keep looking and at Wolves that. Wolves don't have all that much to play for at this stage, right? So. I think they, their Wolves are still in the contention for seventh, I think, which is, you know, yeah. the seventh the seventh place trophy. Yeah, I keep looking at that Wolves match as like where it might go to shit for Liverpool, but 
I mean, I've said it before and I'll say it again. It would be quite amazing and quite sad for Liverpool fans if they don't win the league and still only drop one match the entire season. Yeah, I mean, the most probably the most interesting part of that for me is that what we've usually seen in the past couple of Premier League seasons, I think Antonio Conte comes to mind, even Leicester comes to mind, is that we usually see like this massive streak of wins at the in the first half of the season, or at least somewhere towards the middle, and definitely not towards the end. And like you mentioned in, in, in the question you were saying, you know, both of these teams have been red hot and have had to be towards the end of the season. Manchester City and Liverpool are both on win streaks. So this is truly, even though it's not climactic in maybe the typical American sports sense where they're going to face off in a final battle, it's still pretty, this title race is still historic because these teams have had to be exceptional and it's only going to be, be decided by one point. It's literally going to be decided by one singular point and that really has to hurt if you're a Liverpool fan and you miss out on yet another year of, of any trophies. Yeah, I wonder with, with, the, with today's result, with the 3-0 loss and uh, heading into the second leg, I wonder if they kind of concede the Champions League at this point. But I mean, I guess, I mean, I guess they can't really. I mean, they're they're still going to start a strong lineup at Anfield against Barcelona. But I think Salah said in an interview that I watched um, recently that he feels that he that the Premier League is more important to Liverpool fans than the Champions League, and he would much rather, if he had to choose, mm-hmm. win. The, the Premier League than, than the Champions League. Mm-hmm. And they might just win nothing. Uh, so top four scenarios. Uh, Spurs are currently in third. Chelsea are in fourth. Uh, 538 has Tottenham at 95% to retain a Champions League spot. Chelsea at 72%. Arsenal at 27% who are in fifth. And Manchester United at 6%. Uh, Michael, care to make an argument for Arsenal or United overtaking either Spurs or Chelsea? It looks like not Spurs, nah, but I, overtaking Chelsea. Mm, uh, United have Huddersfield and Cardiff remaining, so that looks like two dubs. Yeah. Chelsea Chelsea have Watford and Leicester. Chelsea have Watford and Leicester. Uh, there's every chance that they could struggle against both of those teams. So if it would be anybody, it would likely be um, it's probably going to be Arsenal overtaking Chelsea at this point, which again is what we were talking about. The the Europa League final, which could potentially be Arsenal-Chelsea, would have really interesting implications. Right. Arsenal have Brighton home and Burnley away. Um, but Manchester United, I'm just calling it a wash until things can <laughs> change in the offseason. Nico, do you give Arsenal or United a shot at Jumping into the top four. I mean, it, it's been a joke, running joke now for the last like five weeks that nobody wants a top four slot because all of these teams have been losing or dropping points. It's like an know? episode of uh, Wacky Race. It's yeah. pretty insane. But yeah, I think I agree with Micah in the sense that if it's going to be a team that leapfrogs Chelsea, which they do have two difficult games to deal with, um, it's going to be Arsenal as opposed to United. But you never know. Always at the wheel, right? He has the favor of the, the XG gods. It's a good chat. <laughs> oh, thank God for title races, for top four races. It's going to be interesting over the next two weeks. And in our next episode, which is Tuesday, May 14th, mark your calendars. Stay tuned because we'll have the triumphant return of Ryan O'Hanlon, who will either be very happy about Liverpool winning the title or very sad. <laughs> we'll also bring along some of your favorite Ringer employees, 
and fans of different teams. We're going to talk about how their teams have fared in the 2018-19 Premier League season. We'll also know who's in the Champions League final and in the Europa League final. Micah and Nico, thank you for joining me on this journey today. Of course. Thank you for having me. And see you guys in two weeks. Peace. Peace.